This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a RRR film criticism show and podcast. My name is Lisa Kovacevic and joining me in the cave tonight are Emma Westwood, Stuart Richards and Sally Christie. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. 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 Uh, on tonight's show, a zombie apocalypse plagues Australia in cargo and Germany and Jerusalem find a sombre union in The Cake Maker. But first, we're going to kick off uh, on a somewhat sobering note tonight with a film centred around the AIDS epidemic of the 80s and 90s. And just to give the film a bit of context, perhaps for our younger listeners, I just wanted to give just a quick brief overview of the scope of the epidemic at this time. Um, while sporadic cases of AIDS were documented prior to the 70s, the epidemic as we know it today started in the mid to late 70s. By the end of 85, every region in the world had uh, reported at least one case of AIDS with over 20,000 cases in total. And by December 87, the World Health Organization estimated that between 5 and 10 million people were living with HIV worldwide. So by the early 90s, the AIDS epidemic had claimed countless lives for over a decade. Though not exclusively, a large proportion of victims were gay men due to the heightened risk of transmission through unprotected sex. Um, bringing us to the film BPM, or Beats Per Minute, which throws us into the milieu of sexual and political acti- activism at this time, as seen through the prism of the AIDS activist group ACT UP Paris, for which French writer-director Robin Campillo was one of the original members. The film illuminates the inner workings of the activists, many of whom were homosexual and living with HIV, and their fight for social acceptance in the face of homophobia and apathy. Much of their protests are spent lobbying drug manufacturers reluctant to expedite treatment breakthroughs because of bigotry and the widely held stereotype that HIV was exclusively a gay disease. Uh, Nathan Arnaud Valois, I think, joins the ACT UP Paris Collective and is immediately drawn to the radical and somewhat militant Sean Noel Perez Biscayat, a 20-something man living with HIV. As their relationship develops and Sean's condition deteriorates, BPM shifts from observational documentary style to character-driven drama. BPM won the 2017 Grand Jury Prize at Cannes and while some may have seen it doing the festival rounds here in Melbourne or beyond if you're tuned into the podcast version of this program. It's only now getting a limited cinematic release here in Australia. Stu, Stu, did you first see this at MIFF? Yeah, I saw this at MIFF last year and then the Melbourne Queer Film Festival uh, earlier this year had a few screenings of it, which were all sold out and the French Film Festival as well Mm. um, had several... uh, uh, for screenings of it. Uh, so it's done a significant film festival um, sort of circuit already in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and yeah. how did you take the film? Oh, I loved it. it. I've yes. seen it twice. Yeah. Um, I, I really love this film. I think it's actually one of, I think my favourite favourite queer films I think I've ever seen. Um, wow. And it's that gonna, is huge. That's no, I think it... Yeah, no, I think... Do you haven't you written a thesis on queer yeah. film? And you're saying <laughs> that. Wow. Um, one of, one of, one of. <laughs> okay. um, I think it's definitely going to be my top ten for the year. Yeah. Um, it is so angry, and I think that's a really important part of the film. Um I mean, for those that want to learn more about what this period was like, there are a few documentaries that I think capture this period very well. Um, we Were Here, which is sort of set in San Francisco. And then there's How to Survive a Plague, which also covers the ACT UP branch of New York, um, mm. where sort of ACT UP started. Is that an American film? Mm. It is. Yeah, it's yeah, an right. American documentary. Mm. And it is, and, and sort of with sort of these sort of activists, 
Um, they were, you know, quite literally fighting for their lives. And one thing that the other documentary, We Were Here, captures really well, I think, was just so how, how much death was actually happening to the point where one sort of interview um, subject says that they had to start prioritising funerals to go to because so many people were, were dying from the illness. So I think this this film really captures the anger of these activists quite well, um, but it's also a very sexy film as mm. well. It had, um, I thought the sex scenes in this film were exquisite. So well shot. Yep. That was mm. one of my favourite things about this film were yeah. the sex scenes in it. Yeah. Like, Absolutely exquisite. Oh, you dirty dogs, <laughs> Sally. My God. No, I, Sex I, scenes I, I, com- I completely agree, actually. Oh, I think, God, <laughs> listen to them. Oh. Scandal. Particularly for a film that Jeez. has such a heavy subject matter, it, yeah. it didn't shy away from the sexuality and I think it sort of it dealt with it. I think other sort of LGBTQI sort of films it can be a bit prudish, actually, when it comes well, to... Well, I mean, looking mm, at, like, sex. Philadelphia, Dallas Vice Club, Club absolutely. where the sex is... I was going to ask you what you thought of it oh, compared to Dallas Buyers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, sex in those films is dealt with basically, like, th- really medically, and yep. there's this kind of morose sadness associated with the sex in those films where you pity them and you feel sorry for them. Mm. Where here we have a serodiscordant couple where one's HIV positive and one's HIV negative, and yes, I mean, they sort of discuss their status, which is really important uh, to do. Um, They're incredibly responsible about really their responsible. sex. You know, it's all, it's all condoms and discussion and yeah. openness, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, but there's also, I mean, the narrative has a lot of other things going on as well where they're emotionally connecting, which I think is fantastic. Mm. Um, so to having sort of a HIV-themed film where, you know, sex is great and sexy and positive and fantastic, I think is really wonderful. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And I think um, the other thing that this film excels at, which other films, like you mentioned, Philadelphia is an obvious one, which was the Tom Hanks-driven thing and then the Dallas Buyers Club, which uh, the, these sort of American films that deal with the subject matter of AIDS, they often sort of boil it down into these um, one, generally one white man narratives yep. um, that are going to sort of rally against the system that is that is not helping them and it's about mm. them having their big speech at the end, etc. Whereas this is really about um, a collective and I and yeah. I really appreciated that insight into But there's this. one moment that I love, sorry, yes. I, I don't want to sort of no, do. talk too much, yeah. but there's one moment where Sean, he's on the Metro and it's almost like it's a comment on those inspiring speeches in those mm. films <laughs> where he starts talking about having to live for now yeah. and then yeah. like they look, he looks out the window and Paris looks beautiful and then he starts laughing and he's like, no, that's crap. Yeah, um, yeah. it's not the reality. Really yeah, there was a, there was a, there was a lot of humour in the yeah. film, wasn't there? Yeah. Mm. What, what did you think, Em? Yeah, I like the way that it started with this um, sort of verite doco style, and um, it almost felt like a real documentary. It, did. it was, it it was did. remarkable, absolutely. Yeah. And it came in at a certain event, and then we went to the ACT UP meeting, and we're introduced to this ensemble. And first of all, it's um, Robin Campillo's, I think has 
done a wonderful job of directing an ensemble because ensemble ensemble directing is not given uh, or great ensemble directing is not given the kudos that it really should get because it's very very hard mm. especially when you're juggling that many characters and that many relationships across characters and they're all present and they're all present and and you need to be able to identify know who's who what's what mm-hmm. um, it was quite fast as well um, because we're mainly presented with them through the meetings um, they're all speaking quite quickly although we get to hear them all because rather than clap they're told to click click yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> it was res- this respectful way of keeping yeah, the dialogue so that yeah. they no one's drowned out in mm. their in their debate mm. Uh, and the, the first event that we see uh, where they they actually converge on a, a presentation and, and something occurs, uh, it's told, it's then told in retrospect and we get this kind of intercutting of what happened and um, and them telling it again or the different the different people who were involved in it telling it from their perspective, which I thought it was a great way to mm. hook people in. It was a really interesting way to open a film. Film. Mm. Um, and, and the film, I think, could have got quite exhausting if it kept on going along that road. But instead, it brought in that love story, which didn't feel like it was being um, wedged in uncomfortably or anything like that. It really managed to meld beautifully I mm. found with the really documentary style. Interesting. Yeah. I, I did not expect the narrative to go that way. Yeah. I went in with the knowledge that it was about ACT UP and love the kind of fly on the wall stuff and then it did go into this kind of love story which was really surprising and like you said it worked really well it didn't feel like yeah, it was it didn't just feel like it, it tonally it, all worked it's kind somehow. of at the end i went oh okay then this is kind of the shift that this film took mm. and um i did i really enjoyed the angriness of it i think that they really captured that kind of authenticity of what it's like to be in a community like that when you're not all going to have the same opinion and you're not mm. all going to a- agree on things. And you're all going through different yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. Some people are HIV yep. positive, some are not, some are, have got haemophilia and yeah, some exactly. are you know, and it's transgender that kind of issues. Thing where the yeah. stakes are high, you yeah. know, mm. like yeah, yeah. your life's on the line, yeah. you're panicking and, you know, so you're going to bigger within your community. Um, I really love that about it and I also really liked how it was so... For something that's got such heavy content, it was felt really joyous and it felt, you know, really important. Mm. Mm. The soundtrack mm. is so fantastic. Mm. So we get the remix of um, Small Town Boy by Bronski oh Beach. Oh, my God, I love um, that song. Yeah. By uh, Arnard Rebettini, um, who also composed Eastern Boys, uh, which was previously directed by Campillo. Um, and he stretches that remix out basically for the entire soundtrack Mm. where Mm. he picks up kind of key motifs Mm -hmm. and each of those become sort of moments in the score throughout the film, which Mm. is really fantastic. Yeah, and uh, I think, yeah, and they sort of happen at the the points of the film where I felt the film was at its best, which is when it was being its most intimate. So Mm. in sort of bedroom scenes, but also in these dance scenes. So So they're great. So they have these very intense days where they're sort of, you know, rallying the government or they're in schools trying to educate young people. 
it's all very harrowing and then they're sort of with dealing balloons with balloons of blood yeah with balloons <laughs> of blood and um and then having to deal with the life death stuff but then every night they seem to sort of go to these clubs for this cathartic sort of mm. dance experience um and i felt that that was just beautifully shot and there were these wonderful moments where it's like vapor or something it's in like the air dust, in dust the and vapor in the light mm. and the goes camera, into the molecule the, yeah the I camera think it goes into virus it actually it goes, goes into, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it goes into a mutating see, virus yeah. yeah and i think it, it especially at one point you it kind of zooms in on what i could only assume i may be wrong but is uh, the aids virus mm. yes yeah yes and that's what it does, you yeah. look uh-huh. at this you in microscope and it's and it's beautiful. Mm. This is the, yeah. the it's the the conf, it's amazing, you yeah. know, to see this. Yeah. And they keep on returning to that. It's kind of like the church, you know, yeah. the beats per minute behind yeah. it. Mm. Um, it's actually a very common motif in queer films, I think, these nightclub scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the but, relief. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, a, fantastic, is, uh, a fantastic, fantastic woman yep. as well. And there was yeah. another motif in that which, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm jumping ahead to another film. Forget it, forget it. I'm not going <laughs> to mention it. Um, no, I Next won't. Um, yeah. Yeah, next film. Um, but there yeah. was um, at the. I just. I just have to say about the the end. Without saying it, it is a very um, uh, a very interesting end. A very difficult end to this the film. Sequence. Yeah, the apartment yeah. sequence. But then it also has this beautiful imagery where the sane is dyed red. Well, apparently, Act Up Paris were trying to do that. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So I yes, saw it with a friend of mine who sort of knew more about ACT UP than me at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival and, um, yeah, and apparently said they were wanting to turn the, the same red. So this is almost like a tribute mm. to them and it's, something they did. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredible Beautiful. image, and this it just mm. looks like the you know the veins, the blood yeah, lines going in, yeah. through, and um, and it's intercut with somebody who's on the on their deathbed essentially, and it's that sound of, of the heavy breathing over sweeping over these aerial shots of mm. the Seine that looks like like arteries yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah carrying yeah. you down. It's amazing that all that stuff was beautiful. The things that didn't work for me in the film was that it tried to cram too much in, too much information about um, all the issues that were happening around at the time. So you just sort of skim the surface of all of them and none of them are fully explored. And I and I actually started to tune out a bit. An hour into the film, it was too much time spent in the meetings for me. Um, so I was really relieved when they sort of hone in on this relationship between Sean and Nathan. No, I definitely feel like I came away from this and I'd learnt lots oh, of Oh, really? Things. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, it was a bit cacophonous for yep. me and I actually got a bit tired of it. I was like, come on, something's going to yeah. happen. Which is just me. Like, it's just, you yeah, know, sure. a, you know mm. maybe it's a generational thing too. <laughs> <laughs> I think it warrants a, a second watching. I think you would have yeah. got a lot from a second watching. Mm. Um, well, it Stewie. stayed with yeah. me as well, actually. So you know, even though I sort of laboured through the first hour, it's yeah. actually stayed with me for days, and I've really yeah ruminated on it more and more. It's a, it's a, it's a remarkable film in, in, in that it's so unique. I've just not seen anything made mm. with this kind of an approach to, yeah. to narrative, you know, particularly yeah. around this subject matter. Mm. I think the uh, performances. Uh, uh, Adele Haynell, who plays Sophie. She's one of the leaders of the ACT UP group. She's fantastic. She's she? wonderful. She was in The Unknown Girl. Yeah, She is wonderful. Um, who's the actor who plays Nathan? Oh, He's I've very incredibly handsome. Yes, very <laughs> handsome. There's also... Arnaud Valois? 
That that sounds correct. Yep. And then there's Nahul Perez Biscaya, who is I think the Sean. Uh, yeah, he mm. feels like though the um, the French Ben Wishart. You know Ben Wishart in the English films. He's in everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Nahul Nahuel is um, very much uh, he, or like he was in three films in the French Film Festival this year, BPM mm. being one of them. Mm. So he seems to be the a bit of the French actor of the the moment, justifiably so. Mm. He's he's just excellent. He's quite I, striking, and he holds the screen. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio Three Triple R FM in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome back. You are on Plato's Cave. Um, we are moving on now from the brutal reality of the AIDS epidemic to the horrors of a fictitious one in the Australian thriller Cargo. In a desperate bid to survive a violent zombie pandemic that's wiped out most of Australia's population, Andy, played by Martin Freeman and Kay, Susie Porter, are surviving on a houseboat in the outback with their one-year-old daughter, Rosie. Their safeguarded river existence comes to an abrupt end when Kay dies and Andy is infected. With only 48 hours before he transforms into one of the zombie-like creatures they have thus far evaded, Andy sets out on a precarious journey to find a new guardian for his child. A small but flourishing Aboriginal tribe are Rosie's best chance of survival, but with their merciless attitude toward the afflicted, they also pose a grave threat. A young Indigenous girl, Toomey, played by Simone Landers, is Andy's best hope of a safe passage into the hidden community. But Toomey has no desire to return to her people. She's on a quest to cure her infected father, Willie, Bruce R. Carter, by returning his stolen soul with the help of the tribal clever man, David Gulpalil, and attempting to employ traditional methods to combat the scourge. Um, This is, in fact, the second second incarnation of the film, the first being a short film created for the Australian Short Film Festival, Tropfest, for which it was a finalist back in 2013. The film went viral after it was uploaded to YouTube and by 2018 it has been viewed over 14 million times. Um, both the original short and this, the full-length feature, were written by Yolanda Ramke, who also directs both films alongside Ben Howling. Has anyone seen the original short? I was going to ask you that. I have not. I who have. has? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. what did you How think? I think that they've done a wonderful job of fleshing it out, so to speak, um, (laughs) into a feature length, um, pardon the pun. And it's just interesting, I I think, it's interesting how a lot of Australian films are getting funded now in this way where you create a web series or in this case a short film, upload it to YouTube and then depending on the views you get, then mm. then the investment may come from Film, film Victoria, Screen Australia, yeah. ABC, you know, you, you name it. And yeah. I don't think it, it's not necessarily exclusively Australian. Something like Lights Out, you know, that oh, little... Oh, yeah, that happened that, with that because that, that was one two-minute short or something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah. yeah, definitely not exclusively Australian but there's definitely seems to be this sort of uh, move toward a safe investment or a safe bet and I, I think and um, and this mm-hmm. seems to be one of the ways that it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily bad like it actually, it does give new up and comers an opportunity to get work out there. I know I had, I had this experience myself, we just made a web series and then off the back of that we were funded through the ABC's, you know, new, new grants funding program and lots of people uh, that I know in the industry are doing the same um, and it just sort of, it's an opportunity. Yeah, I guess in Australia... Test, it's like a preview test. It is you know, and it's just... It's a calling yeah. card. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. show that you can actually mm. deliver the goods, I suppose, exactly. um, for, for, for new and emerging filmmakers. So whether it's a good or a bad thing, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I, I don't think it's necessarily bad. I don't know. How well, did you find the, the film, film compared to the short? To the short. Shall we oh, say? look, the short's quite good, and and the film actually, I think the the script is is really 
uh, well thought. It's very thoughtful and um, I think that they've put a lot of effort into um, looking possibly at the history of the zombie genre as well. Mm. I don't know that they've really pulled it off, um, but I think that it's it's a noble attempt. Mm. <laughs> I'll, mm. I'll start by saying that. What did you think, Stu? Me? Yeah, um, yeah I really enjoyed it. Mm. I loved the role of the landscape in the film. I think that was really well shot. Um I'm sure in terms of the the, the monsters, I'm, I'm sure, Sally, you'll have lots to say. Mm. Um, one thing for me that I guess was, I, I guess, a little bit a bit of a letdown for me um, was because interestingly, both this film and BPM, there's this theme of like time running out mm. and this urgency associated with that where because Martin Freeman is such a pleasant actor <laughs> and so calm for a lot of the film, I felt that that kind of urgency that... 48 minutes remaining to save his daughter just didn't really, I didn't feel where, I mean, he'll be, he'll sit down and literally have a cup of tea with someone and I'm just like, come on, we're, go to the next destination. <laughs> I thought this was actually the best role I've seen him in. Oh, uh, he's fantastic thought, yeah. in it, but for me, I just was, didn't feel that panic. Like he's something like Black Panther, he just felt like he was wedged into that. Well, he, well, he was, and yeah. I think he intentionally and he was. He was, <laughs> um, uh, he was the token white well, guy. He was, he was a narrative the, device. They, call, they called him Diversity. And I, I, I think on set in Black Panther, the, the cast who were predominantly black called him and Andy Serkis, um, who have both been in the top Tolkien, Lord of the Ring films, they called them the Tolkien white guys. <laughs> I thought that was such a great <laughs> pun. <laughs> but That's yeah, he was underutilised. You know what I thought was interesting? This film bears some parallels to a film we reviewed a couple of weeks ago, A Quiet Place, mm. which is led by Jim from The Office, the American version, version of The Office. <laughs> That's yeah. what and my this husband is led by said. the uh, yes, British version just of watching Tim. horror movies with guys from The Office. <laughs> <in> <laughs> Actually, that's a really good point. It is interesting, yeah. though, because these guys repre- make that, ca- that um, parallel. But well, yeah. they represent the everyman, yeah. and they're yeah. so likable, like you mm. say, Stu. And mm. perhaps that works against him in this film. Pleasant, yeah. pleasant, very pleasant. Um, yeah, the same I in, a, in a quiet gritty. place. The same in a quiet place. Yeah, yeah. he was sort of Just like the the dependable hero, yeah, you know. Nice. Yeah. and both films also started. Um, once the the inception of the disease or zombieism, yeah. whatever mm. it was, yeah. once it had been um, established, yeah, we didn't really get any background into no, it no. from either. It's okay, we're just it's there like, in the thick of yeah, it. Yeah, it's mm. like that. Twenty eight days later, yep. stage has we've passed that, mm-hmm. and now it's more about going into that survival mode. All the characters already know what they have to do in order to survive. Well, I think the filmmakers wanted to hold back. They didn't want to be explicit about why. Why this epidemic has happened and where it's come from, but I feel like they could have possibly explored that a little bit better. It doesn't. You don't have to be yeah. explicit about it, but it was kind of like, well, what are you trying to say here? What do the zombies represent? They always represent something historically, and I just didn't get. A oh, good I, think, I thought this was yeah. pretty obvious. Uh, yeah. Really? I, I think was, this was a white man's yeah, disease. I thought oh, that yeah, too. I've got, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> also, this, I mean, the, there's the fracking guy as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that yeah. was yep. pretty obvious about this destruction and disrespect of the, the land yeah. has caused this plague. Yeah, I'm actually, I should phrase that better then. I think it probably wasn't visually explored enough. You know, there were yeah. obvious things like the fracking, yes, um, and the fact that he has to sort of pass on his child to an Indigenous community because 
because he as the white man has not been able to, you know, ensure the survival of his species. So he's yeah. passing it back to um, the custodian, the original custodians of the land. And I, that was all good. I just didn't, I just, they didn't execute it well enough though for me. And I can't put my finger on why. Did I you lo- think it I, worked? I loved this <laughs> yeah. movie so much. Sally cried. I, I don't know if I was <laughs> pre-menstrual or no. what, but about 20 minutes into this movie, I started crying and I cried the I cry, entire I film. Wow. Like, like ugly crying, like <laughs> kind of, you know, like oh, no. really. It, it was just for I me. I was moved towards exactly. the end. I didn't, it was. Yeah. Really beautiful, simple storytelling that just really worked for me. And then it just had this really kind of obvious message of reconciliation that this country so desperately, desperately needs Mm. that, you know, really came through and that baby was so cute. (laughs) The family, though, was so cute. Um, The Martin Freeman with the Rosie the baby and um, Susie Susie Porter. I they love had Susie a really Porter. lovely. It's nice to see her. Yeah, the, yeah. yes, mm. I, I do like Susie Porter as well, and and I like the way that they had um, just this really sweet relationship that was somehow playing out uh, at, during the end of the world, basically. Mm. Mm. And at some points, the start, I, I I really enjoyed the way at the start that they were floating down the river on this houseboat and waving at a family on the on mm, you on know the, banks, the shores yeah. and. Um, and uh, you, well, the father then would reveal his gun very, and you well, oh, okay, this isn't great. But at times they, at, right at the beginning, it was like they were literally on a holiday house and I think they opened mm. a bottle of wine and sat out and it was kind of a partly normal life or simple pleasures mm. <laughs> even when everything is falling down around it your was, ears. I, I thought one thing that I really liked, I thought was really interesting about this film was how they dealt with um, choosing isolation over community Mm. and how at the beginning of the film Andy Martin Friedman's character was like we need to stay on the water, we need to keep away from people, we need to be away Mm. and basically, you know, anyone that's going to survive this is going to have to be part of a community which we essentially see is the heart of this and what's going to get people through this in the end. But um, I thought that was really beautifully explored too. I totally Mm. agree with you because if you look at the, which I was reading up today on the history of the zombie film and and it's 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 progression um, through a fear of the black man to a a fear of um, war and the Vietnam War in um, Romero's films Um, and then it was a a fear of capitalism and mass consumerism is that Day of the Dead, the one that's set in the... Um, that's Romero in, yeah. too. Yeah, Dawn of the yeah, Dead. Yeah, they're all Dawn the same the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you get these sort of more more recent films, um, actually like um, Resident Evil, which was really about the AIDS epidemic, funnily enough, um, and all that fear of these epidemic viruses and stuff. And then you've got these more recent films. Is it the Walking Dead series, the TV that's on mm. Netflix or whatever I think it is? that's influenced these films quite, um, quite strongly. Well, it has. You can but, see that. Yeah, but that yeah. film to me is more about... Um, individualism so it's like that the zombies aren't to be feared anymore it's it's the other tribes it's mm-hmm. the other communities that aren't your own so kill mm. them and protect your own and survive and I think that this is great because it's the progression is no that's oh, not mm. correct you need community and so it's this well, return back to what you're saying yeah, Sally is that t- indigenous community yeah I think yeah. That, that kind of thing rings really true because it is with the, if you look at the walking dead it is completely it's not the zombies mm. it's everyone else yeah it's a yeah and um that's my, why I my, always my, found a Boring because I yeah, prefer the I, zombies. I, yeah. my, my partner is a huge <laughs> fan of anything zombie related, <laughs> and this for me was 
I really like Train to Busan as well, but this for me was the best kind of, mm. I mean, they never explicitly call them zombies in this, but zombie film that I've seen in a long time. I was really, really well, moved the, by it, this movie. The no, Indigenous just, just, yeah. people called, um, the, called them ghosts. Yeah. I know, yeah. I love that. That's interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. what they called them when they arrived on the first fleet too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Really interesting. I do, I actually, and Martin Friedman was, yes. that character was meant to be. Um, British. British. Very yeah, British. It wasn't a yeah. coincidence that they just cast him and he was British. Yeah. It was very Just quickly, though, I think, I mean, in terms of horror films, this isn't really a new concept where we have these monstrous figures, but it turns out that people themselves are the real monsters, monsters yeah. in mm. this epidemic. I yeah. think it's quite a common, back to Frankenstein Probably, almost. Yeah. Oh, okay, sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. But also even in Romero's films... Um, and one of the Day of the Dead, which is from that first trilogy that people didn't enjoy as much, but I always really I loved that them. film. That was where that was military versus mm. scientists. Yeah. And um, so that was very much about that, yeah. you know, people against each mm. other. And, and the zombie in that one was the one that we all kind of loved. Bud. We love, yeah, Bud. Bud he had zombie. a lot of personality. It was yeah. the first zombie personality mm-hmm. in a film. That wasn't the first one, was it? No, no, that no, was no. The that third. was the, the, and the 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, was, yeah. it was the third Late one. But they, it was yeah. the one where they kind of, um, she, you could see that in um, Cargo where she had her father kind of trained in a way that she he would respond to, to her. her. Yeah, that's that true. That was very much from Day of the Dead with the zombie Bud where they had kind of trained him to respond and he listens to Beethoven and he's got human instincts. and I, I, With his Walkman. I know. <laughs> I do like this sort of. Uh, I, I like the way we're, as Australian filmmakers, we're sort of exploring these genre films in a, in the outback again. Yeah. I mean, Sweet Country earlier this year, um, Warwick Thornton's um, Western, essentially, I thought was marvelous. But I actually thought that that did a lot. That hit me a lot harder on the reconciliation issue than sure. this film did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. There was. It was funny though because this this film, like you say, it's more um, anchored in social realism than it is in the the, the special effects and the zombies mm-hmm. and stuff. But it still didn't have the emotional um, resonance that Sweet Country did <laughs> for me. Did for me, did me. <laughs> yeah. But there was, I think that the the big. Uh, the climax of the film, while I was swept up in it, mm. when I kind of had a moment where I, I actually thought about it, I went, that was really ridiculous <laughs> imagery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally ridiculous. Yeah. I, I went along with it, but I do think the film kind of collapsed a little bit towards I, the end. I agree with you. And, mm. I, and I actually didn't really think much of the cinematography, too. I thought, like, I just felt like there are better film, like there are film, better genre films, horror genre films set in the outback, like the at Paris or even Wolf Creek that kind of really mm. utilised the landscape as a character and I just felt like it was all really pedestrian. I didn't feel like... They got, the, they got a nice orange... Um, tinge. The, yeah, the, sort hue. of that orange sunset... Across yeah. the rocks and that. And they did have some nice bird noises. Yeah. yeah. Film South Australia, mm. wasn't it? It was yeah. South yeah. Australia, yeah. 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 Well, that was never explicitly sort of yeah. said. Yeah. They but, seem, uh, going back to the zombies, they seem there seems to be like an evolution in the zombie law in this film when they kind of, when they're sort of digging their heads in the sand and, and they're going through that um, and they need tunnel a dark mm. and they, they need, need to sleep yeah. in the dark. Mm. I really like that, how mm. they're, they're sort of thinking about this monster and how it's sort of adapting in the Australian landscape. Mm. 
Mm, yeah. Look, it's not a bad film. It's on. Oh, it's on wide release, isn't it, at the moment? And we were just discussing on it. Thurs. Oh, oh, it's already. It's and already it's, out. But yeah. yeah, it's yeah. already. But then on um, last Friday, it went international Netflix, which is yeah. Yeah. Yes. the first time this has happened. So it's a yeah, it's big interesting. Deal. And mm. and I actually saw a few Reddit threads from the states about it because they were all really keen to know what the music was from the film. And a lot of it is um, uh, Dr. G and Apingu um, doing the soundtrack before he sadly passed away. Three. Triple. Our final film for the evening is the German-Israeli film The Cake Maker. Pastry chef Thomas Tim Kalkoff works in a quaint cafe in Berlin. He has an ongoing affair with Oran Roy Miller, an Israeli businessman who visits him monthly whilst on work trips to Germany. But Oran has another life back in Jerusalem with a wife and child. When Oran stops corresponding with Thomas, Thomas discovers Oran has passed away in Israel. Shocked and left in sort of psychological limbo, Thomas travels to Iran's birthplace of Jerusalem in search of some sort of closure. Once there, he gets a job as a pastry chef at a cafe owned by his lover's widow, Anat, Sarah Adler, who has no idea of Thomas's relationship with her late husband or that they are both mourning the passing of the same man. The Cake Maker is the 2017 directorial debut of Offer... I'm going to say this right, Offer Raoul Grazier, is that right? Off I think it sounds pretty good to me, Lisa. <laughs> We're going with it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. What did you make of the film, Em? <laughs> I, I very much enjoyed this film, actually. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's another uh, European film where the, the character kind of walks uh, walks around in a mogaton haze. I think I said <laughs> that last week. Uh, yet uh, this worked for me in... Um, the way that you have the the hanging over it, like the sort of da- Damocles, the fact that you know that at some stage he's going to be caught out in going um, in seeking this connection with the the lover who's passed away by going to his um, to seek out his his life with his family, uh, and you know it's a, a terrible mistake. Uh, initially, I felt like I wasn't sure whether he was super creepy or not, mm. and I kind of like that that you're. It's a bit amb- ambiguous um, what his intentions are because there doesn't seem to be anything good that could come out of it. You can't tell if he's he's just wants to be close to that family and perhaps help them, yeah, or if he's sort of. There's something more nefarious going on. Yeah, because really he's strangely po-faced. You don't yeah. really get any indication of his emotionality, even when he finds out. Uh, the, his emotionality is very much hidden until later. Um, mm. Even when he founds, finds out that Oren has um, has died, mm. we don't get we don't get much from we get him. Nothing. We get nothing except his actions, which are to go yeah. to, to go there, which yeah. are quite to to yeah. leave his life and to go to Jerusalem, which it's is had, quite strong. Yeah, so you get this sense that there's something profound has happened to yeah. him internally, but yeah, there's nothing on the external that you see. No, yeah. but I like the play on. Um, the the food i mean this was really heavily symbolic this film mm. and the idea of of food and the german going to is israel and um and providing sustenance to the wife of his his lover um and to the jewish people and and learning to cook kosher and learning to cook kosher um 
was, you know, well, it's not lost. I don't think it could be lost on anyone, the meaning behind that, how it was about communities coming together, um, not just uh, Jewish community and uh, post-World War II German community, but also uh, gay and straight communities coming together. And this idea, because it played a lot on kosher law, kosher Mm. law is incredibly incredibly confusing, Mm. but there is this thing around not eating or um, boiling the the goat in or the meat in the mother's milk. So this idea of meat and milk, and they did spell that out briefly in the film about that's for the meat, that's for the the milk. So without being too crass about it, I think Thomas's Mm. character was the meat Mm. and she was the milk Mm. and this idea of they they should never mix, they should never be together. Mm. So that was really profoundly symbolic, yeah. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I found this a bit of a drag. I'm sorry. Did you? <laughs> Did you? Oh, yeah, right. I was really bored. <laughs> um, but I, I think it was because uh, the actor that played Thomas, uh, Tim uh, Kalkoff, was just his face was just so one note the entire film, um, yeah. which I get. Like he was very internalizing his mm-hmm. sort of trauma and grief. But I just needed something for a film that goes for. Almost two hours. Mm. I kind of needed something from him. There was one point where we saw emotion from him and that was it. Yeah, and yeah. that was just at, at, at the, the end. end. At the yeah. end, and for me that came way too late. Mm. The um, the actress that plays Edna, uh, Sarah Adler, she was incredible. Mm. She held the film together for me and I wanted more of her. Um, and I kind of wanted, I mean, not giving away the ending, I wanted more from the ending in terms of these really? two people coming together. I thought that together. was really strong. I liked really it too. Really strong. Yeah. No, for me it was mm. just, it wasn't it's enough. too European. It's I, too I, European, <laughs> too slow. <laughs> Give me Michael Bay fireworks. I know, yeah. spell it out for us. <laughs> the relationships, all the relationships needed to be developed more. Yeah. I, I just, felt, especially, um, what was uh, her husband's name? Was it Oren? Oren. Oren. Mm. Yeah. There, obviously, I know it was, you know, just for him to get from point A to point B with the plot, but that relationship just kind of felt like nothing to me. Mm. And then the relationship between Thomas and him and Oren, yeah. And then when he died, it was like I didn't get that Thomas was mourning. Mm. Um, he's, I felt confused by his intentions. Mm. I didn't get that. Well, like he, I said, I thought maybe this is super creepy and he's going to go. It was just kind of like, oh, I felt that. You, why would you do that? But, I mean, why why you sure? but even when he's in this sort of lovey-dovey stage with Oren, he, he still no emotion. So See, that's why yeah. I felt like when I, he's I happy, didn't get when he's sad, from it. same face. Mm. Uh, I just <laughs> yep. for me, for me, there wasn't enough growth when he's asking from his, him how yeah. he makes love to his wife. Yeah. No Nothing. emotion. No. Nothing. <laughs> you don't get much of a sense of his history until the end, which was quite interesting. Yeah. You don't. You get the insight into his relationship with his grandmother and his relationship with Oran is really held back. I actually really, I don't, I was expecting to be so bored by this film and I really enjoyed it. I found it like, I thought it was like quite broadly accessible. I think um, even again, I really enjoyed the gay love scenes. <laughs> I thought that was shot really well. Yes. <laughs> really beautiful. Well, there's a couple of love scenes in this film, and I thought they were, were quite hot. Yeah, so, yeah. Really? yeah. Same. <laughs> I did too. Nothing. I actually, uh, I enjoyed nothing, 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 nothing going down nothing the, for the gay man. No, no. The grandma was great. Yeah. So when she, you're going to say she was really hot. She yeah. was. Yes. 
something. Uh, no. When she came in, she was like a firecracker. And I was like, all right, she's going to pick up on something and she's going to sort of discover something and she's going to stir the pot a bit. And still, like, it wasn't. No, I felt like she knew. I felt like there was a knowing <sighs> with her. Yeah, and, it was definitely and knowing still with nothing her. came mm-hmm. out of it because, for me. Because the, of, it's because of the religion, though. Everything is repressed. Mm-hmm. Everything is suppressed. And I really, I thought this film just did it so well. I actually thought this is, of all the films, this was the most sophisticated for me. I mm. thought wow. it was incredibly adult. Yeah. I thought the way it dealt with the relationships, it didn't, um, I don't know, it, 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 it didn't pander to us, to the audience, and everything was complicated and, and it allowed them to be complicated. And I felt, yeah, the lead character, yes, he held back, but I thought that that actually was the emotional drive of the film because I wanted to know, I actually wanted to know what his motives were, but I can see how you would find that a bit tedious <laughs> and dull. But I um, I actually... No, I mean, it's I, well made and the, the yeah. cakes looked delicious. It was the... I think of all nice the... Nice black forest cake. Oh, yeah. made you feel like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I love that. The food, I mean, like you said, Emma, it was so symbolic. I loved the way um, Oran's widow, Anat, could not resist her husband's lover's food. She couldn't resist it. She was like licking the plates and it was all very carnal. And I, I just... And even uh, right from the start when... Because Oren yeah. would take his cinnamon, cinnamon biscuits cookies. back to her. Yeah. I, I saw this yeah. yesterday and was inspired to have a really great Israeli dinner last night. For yes. This film. So <laughs> Did I you have some couscous? And had some falafel. Yeah. It, was <laughs> re- it was really good. Was it kosher? No, probably not. <laughs> but um, the food was, yeah, was yeah. definitely gorgeous in this film. And yeah, and it was all, that was the only way that these people could communicate as yes. well and <laughs> through the food. And I and I just liked the way that the sexuality was fluid in this film. It wasn't mm. gay and straight. It was just, it was complicated. And I... Mm. I just like because grief is complicated and the way that we deal with it is and I thought that this was quite refreshing I just thought what I actually yeah I thought for for, for a first time mm. feature I found it astounding actually yeah the sexuality yeah. is like beyond identity so, yeah, yeah no is. labels here yeah yeah, yeah so I appreciated it for yeah. that well if you're interested in seeing The Cake Maker it is on limited release I think along with BPM um, at, you know good independent local cinemas and Cargo as we said is on wide release release and possibly a Netflix release in a month or two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have been listening. Unless you're in America. Unless you're in America. <laughs> right now. Yeah. Watch it now. Yeah. Um, you've been listening to Emma Westwood, Sally Christie, Stuart Richards and myself, Lisa Kovacevic. The podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard. Do you guys know what's happening next week? Because I shall not be yes, here. Yes, we do. <gasps> we do. Solo. We've got a solo story. We're, we're going space. Oh, we're doing space. Solo, 2001, A Space Odyssey oh. and then... The bookshop. <laughs> <laughs> the bookshop. Just Super spacey. Just to round it all yeah. out. Super spacey, that one. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.